Alrighty, hello everybody. This is Rylan Creekmore and Matthew Keck for the first episode of the Everything's on Fire podcast. Um, we are here to rant in about random topics. Matthew, want to introduce yourself? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm Matt, and this is a great time to be starting the Everything's on Fire podcast, considering uh, you know how we're locked down, not allowed to leave our house, yeah, and uh, can only leave because of a pandemic that's going on. So I, I, I think our intention with this podcast is to just go on tirades about things that just drive us nuts throughout the week, get our okay. thoughts out there, kind of riff off each other and uh, have a good time. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, we were originally not going to shoot this this way, um, but we wanted to start making content as quickly as possible, being that we are locked inside our houses. Uh, thank you, government. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure we'll get, we'll get more in that in, in specific, but, but generally the, the way we're going to handle things on this show is uh, each of us are going to go on a, a big rant that we had planned, uh, something that specifically kind of ticked us off. Um, and it could be on any topic generally, um, yeah. but I'm sure there'll be reoccurring themes, um, yeah. but still it, yeah. it'll, it'll be the same ballpark. And we'll, we'll cover a little bit of general news and just things that came up that we uh, liked or didn't like. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah. So there's going to be two rants, one by each of us, each show. Um, we're calling them "Going on Fire," uh, as you can tell, the name of the show is "Everything's on Fire." Uh, we are excited for this. Um, we do this a lot in our house on our own, so we might as well make it content, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, oftentimes we find ourselves rambling about the same topic for. 20 minutes uh, just because it, we, we, we read something stupid or the conventional wisdom is just seems so wrong or people keep saying the same thing that's just not making sense to us. And, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to voice those. Our, we wanted to voice our discontent a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, in a way, the way that gets out there because some, there are other people on the same wavelength as us. Um, but it feels like it's, it feels like there isn't when it's just the two of us talking about this. And, yeah. and it, you, you can really feel that way when you're stuck in certain kinds of echo chambers. Yeah. So um, I pretty, that pretty much covers what we're going to be doing. Um, I do, if you have comments or concerns or want us to do anything else wise, if you, anybody ever watches this, let us know. Um, but I think we're going to get started and well, we're going to go. So this week, I'm going to start off with the rant. I get to do the inaugural Everything's on Fire rant. And I have a... I have kind of a two-pronged rant, um, but it's all about the Food and Drug Administration and how that's interacting with the coronavirus. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about my more broad concern first, and I'll get some of your thoughts, and then we can go back and forth there. And I got some very narrow ways that they've already screwed this up uh, for this specific event. Um, so, so the first thing that sets me off about the, the FDA is, is, in general, everybody like agrees that the FDA should exist for the most part. Because you know, they review generally what kind of what what kind of food needs certain requirements and what kind of medicine needs certain requirements, and everybody wants everybody to normally be healthy, and that, that makes sense. That's fair. Whatever. I'm not going to complain about that. Now, we're we're in a unique scenario where there's a new drug. I mean, I mean, the, 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 there's a new disease that we don't know how to we we, we don't know how to treat people against it. So when you have like these trials that take weeks and weeks before you're allowed to start using something, that's not good. It's 
so I can imagine like, sure, we want certain regulations on chicken. I get that. But right now we have this unprecedented scenario where people are sick right now and they still have to do these tests. So how are we going to treat the people who are sick right now? Why can't we experiment on the people who are currently sick? Why can't we just jump forward and try to get ahead of these things and the people who are 80 and think they're going to die because we don't know how to treat it? Why aren't they open to like saying, well, you can try this on me because we don't know what to do and this might work better, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So like it's stopping us from getting ahead of the curve and it's even happening f- towards just testing it. And it's like, if people are open to getting tested, they should be able to, but like it's slowing us down and it's putting us behind like two weeks during this crisis. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that's already driving me up a wall. And that, that's just the general, like, maybe this is bad especially for anything new coming up. Yeah. Um, I, for the general idea of it, uh, like FDA testing is good when you're not in a crisis. It feels like, um, I have to agree with you on that. Um, I think when it comes to who you're going to test, uh, a lot of people are very scared of death. Um, a lot of people have a lot of fear of death and that's okay. And you can't, I like, argue that point with them. Some people fear it, some people don't. Um, old people, especially the older generation that we have to deal with, are going to fear it because that seems to be a common theme with them. Whereas I think if you were going to test on humans, if testing on people maybe somewhere around 20 to 30, or people are going to be more willing because they know they're probably not going to die. Well, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is the FDA sounds good, but then anytime there's a person who is at risk mm-hmm. and there isn't an FDA approved treatment out there, they end up getting, they end up getting screwed. Um, because like, imagine there's somebody who like normal cancer treatments aren't working on them. Mm-hmm. And then that's all the FDA is approved. But then there's something that people like would be willing to try, but they mm-hmm. have to either get special approval because the FDA hasn't approved it. That, that's kind of like a huge roadblock. And it's like, people should be allowed to opt for something. And, and they, it, as long as they know, like, hey, this hasn't gone through the regular trials. But mm-hmm. a lot of times they're not even allowed to do that. And I, I just think right now it's like blowing that up as a huge problem. Because yeah. if it's like an unprecedented thing that everybody's experiencing at once and they don't know how to treat it, then it's like, you're going to have to do things the FDA hasn't tested. Mm-hmm. Um. But, but, but the more specific rant, I, I, I guess this just shows how um, how poorly some of this has been managed, especially from the FDA's end. Um, it comes to a lot of the testing. So um, the, the, there was a, a test to see if people have coronavirus, right? It costs $10 per patient and produces results in 90 minutes. It's available in a slew of countries, um, including Italy, Germany, the UK, Turkey, and like 10 more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not approved by the FDA yet um, because the FDA hasn't gone through their testing. So like 20 countries are doing this test. It's 10 bucks, 90 minute results on like last week when it was taking like a day to find out if somebody had it and mm-hmm. we just weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, our, our friend, our mutual friend Miranda got tested today, actually. Um, little drive-by thing, um, but it's going to take three days for results. Like, that's terrifying, especially to somebody, like, who doesn't 
But it, like an older person having to wait three days and a person can die in three days. I'm assuming there's probably a case somewhere where somebody's already died from it within a, within shorter than three days. Um, it, and, and it's just, it's not even that they might die. It's just like, if somebody doesn't think they had it because they are starting to test people who don't necessarily, they, well, they're starting to test people who aren't more likely to have it or less likely to have it. Like normal-ish people who are maybe somewhat symptomatic. And if that person doesn't know for three days, they might be doing things thinking, I probably don't have it. Mm-hmm. They're not self-quarantining. Um, but but the other thing that compounds on all this and that I'm not allowing these tests is on uh, February 10th. So the, the, the CDC um, had notified the FDA about certain kinds of testing kits um, that the FDA had approved, but they mm-hmm. actually weren't operating up to standard. What was essentially happening was they were testing multiple things, including coronavirus, but mm-hmm. it would incorrectly um, it, it would incorrectly think that people had things that weren't coronavirus, yeah, which is bad. Um, so the CDC notified the FDA about that, um, and the FDA had distributed that kind of test to all the testing facilities. So it was like these kits that weren't good, and that was all that had been approved. And it wasn't until February 29th, 19 days later, when the FDA pretty much said, if you know, if you can use a test that actually works, that's probably okay. So there was like this 19-day gap in February, like right when it was starting, where they completely botched it. And like, I get that in February, it wasn't as bad. That was like the first few cases trickling in. Mm-hmm. But that is so bad on the preparedness. There's like three week period where all the labs are in limbo thinking they have to use a test, but they know the test doesn't work and they're not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it screams classic failure by government um, and all these laboratories know what to do if we just let them. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's crazy. 19 days. is That's insane. I mean, it, it would be worse if that was in March, because like now it's gotten crazy over the last two weeks specifically, mm-hmm. and that was last month. So like mm-hmm. I kind of get why they were slow, but it mm-hmm. doesn't excuse it. Like, no, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that excuses it because if you are, what's what am I going to say here? Like, if it was something else, you know, and those two week periods happened right there, and they didn't like, they pretty much had an idea of what things were going to be. Right after they started seeing the cases come in, they're like, oh, this is going to get bad. Like, we can't stop the spread of it. Like, we need to figure out how to fix it from here. If they didn't, like, see that coming or anything like that, like, that's like a global catastrophe. Well, it's actually funny because this is kind of where, like, the the, the two narratives that they're mm-hmm. kind of both playing both sides of contradict themselves. Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, last month we didn't realize it was going to be this crazy. But then there's also like been all these closed door meetings where they were actually supposed to have realized a month ago, but they just didn't want to freak us out, right? Yeah. Because that's all the insiders trading stuff that's come up. Um, that, that they're saying there's these closed door meetings where they're like, "Oh, this is real. We need yeah. to be concerned." But then why was the CDC and the FDA screwing around doing nothing while labs couldn't get prepared if they knew it was bad? So yeah. it's kind of like, what what's actually going on, guys? Are you that incompetent? No, like, you don't get to those positions if you're that incompetent. So I just wonder, like, what what could they have possibly been doing after those, like, they found out the tests don't work? You know what I mean? Like, why are they even still there? Why are they still being distributed? Why are, Why is that even happening? Yeah. Like, 
Now, at this point, I've heard different things about the tests that they're using now mm-hmm. being varying degrees of accurate, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't dug enough into that. It sounds like a lot of places have switched to the one that I mentioned before. That was the um, the one that they're using in all those foreign countries, or at least they're trying to switch to that. Um, I, I did see another note here. Oh, this one was so bad. <laughs> um, so that it, it would give an example of a company that wanted to distribute its test. It's a mm-hmm. Los Angeles-based diagnostic startup called Scanwell. They devised an at-home 15-minute antibody test for the coronavirus. And it says, despite looser FDA regulations, the company expects that the agency will approve its test in six to eight weeks. Yeah, yeah right. And this article was as of uh, three days ago. Six to eight weeks? Yeah, yeah, right? So, well, 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 they're telling us to stay inside of our houses as of like, you know, last week or so. They're, they're still going to take six to eight weeks to approve an at-home test so you can actually see if you're contagious or not. And it's like, what, what's the point of having anybody try to innovate anything if it's going to take two months to get, get it through the FDA? Is it, uh, yeah, 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 I get that completely. Is the FDA hesitant, have they, well, one, have they given reasons, and two, are they hesitant because they don't want to put something else that's bad out, like the CDC did with those other tests? Like, is that where the hesitation comes from, or is this just how it's always been? Well, so, so I think in general, the FDA is very cautious because mm-hmm. them existing is what keeps like that whole industry out of liability. Mm-hmm. So if the FDA pushes something through that ends up being completely wrong, then the FDA loses its credibility, you know, for decades, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, now, like I, I would bet that they're going to push it through faster because like, if they don't push it through bat- faster, stuff's going wrong. And that's what we're seeing left and right right now during this crisis is all these dumb regulations that they're realizing are really inconvenient right now. They're just thrown out the window. Um, I, I, I saw something about how in, I think it was California, if you wanted to open up a hospital, you had to essentially get all the other hospitals in the region to agree that it's okay for you to open a hospital. So that's kind of like if you wanted to open up any business and you had to go to who your competitors would be and say, hey, can I open this? You have to sign off. Um, and then we think, well, why, why are we freaking out about sh- shortages now? And it's like things like this exist. And they're suspending all of those laws now. Mm-hmm. But it's just showing like those shouldn't have been on the books in the first place. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if the FDA ran this through in, in three weeks or something. Mm-hmm. But but it, I guess it shows like why is this a process that's so long all the time? Yeah, why is it three weeks? Like you're in you're in crisis mode. You should be in crisis mode. And I understand that you still want to be diligent and make sure nothing goes wrong. But at a certain point, you're... Is it better to just sacrifice lives because you're waiting? Or is it better to risk lives by putting out something that you like push through well, a little bit quicker? Well, you could literally put it somewhere. If you wanted this to be an at-home test, you could put mm-hmm. it in Reddit in a little section that says, this has not been approved by the FDA so, like, understand that when you use it, that it might, it hasn't met these certain rigorous standards. But then people can decide themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that that really rubbed me the wrong way. And it's, it's also just, like, if we're taking this seriously, then how can any intelligent person sit there and, like, scratch their chin and be like, yes, yeah, six to eight weeks, that's fine. That's not a problem. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a that's a huge problem. They're like six to eight weeks. They're like they're telling us in two weeks that we're supposed to go back to work. Right? Okay, well, I think that's that that's not gonna happen though. No, I don't think it's not gonna happen at all. But what I'm saying is that's what they're that's what people are telling us, that's what our businesses are telling us, that's what we've been told by everybody, right? Well, I, 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 I think that's a good segue to some to some more topical stuff about the coronavirus mm-hmm. and how the, the Trump tweet that I was showing you from yesterday. Oh, yeah. um, so he, he posted this in all caps. Mm-hmm. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. At the end of the 15-day period, we will make a decision as which way we want to go. Um, yeah. And I think what you just said, if we're going back to work in two weeks kind of strikes to the heart of that. Yeah. Um, what do you think he meant by that? What, like, what do you think the tweet, the tweet really meant? You know? I, I, I think that he's pretty much, I, th- I think he's hitting a crossroads um, where they're either going to realize that we can stay shut down for like two months and then it'll all pass or they're going to pay attention to what's going on in South Korea and other countries where it seemed to have passed and see if it comes back. Because if it's just going to come back, then I don't know if staying on lockdown indefinitely is going to be the smart choice for an economy to make. And I don't think he wants to have everybody sit at home for an extra six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, um, so, if, I mean, when it comes to South Korea and uh, what's, what's the other country that, I think Japan a little bit, and kind of to some extent China, but you can't really trust anything they're saying. True. Um, I just wonder, like, how bad has it gotten since it came back up? I haven't, like, followed specifically. So, like, are the cases, like, you know, skyrocketing in number, or is it more of a, like... Just like there are cases, and like maybe those cases were there before they even closed down the fuck, like before they reopened everything up. Well, and and, and the thing is, what, what I think is the most, um, I, what I think is the worst case scenario mm. would be if we draw too much from one of those examples too, because mm. it's like South Korea could be an example of what we think um, our country can aim to do, but it's mm. also like South Korea is significantly smaller and more yeah. homogenous than the United States. Sure. So if they end up having like a quarantine and then it mostly worked and they went back to work and then it didn't really come back that bad, mm. well, that might be a lot different than if we did the same thing because we're, you know, several fold bigger. Yeah, that's fair. I get that. I, I wonder what the right call is because you have an economy that's just tanking, you know, because nobody's fucking working. And... Yeah. That's a huge problem. Um, well, but, I, I I think you know where I stand on it. I, yeah. I I think the true number that we need to know is the expected United States mortality rate. Yeah. Um. Now the the only thing that makes that a tricky number to know is mm-hmm. if everybody got it at once, then the mortality mm-hmm. rate would obviously be higher because then mm-hmm. hospitals would do a worse job because they'd be overcrowded. Yeah. But if the mortality rate is a lot lower than what the experts are kind of saying, which is kind of what I expect, because I think there's reasons to think they're calculating the number wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, then I don't see, I, I think the quarantine is really just a, an ineffective measure that's going to delay everybody getting it. When in reality, this would have been way less bad than if we did nothing or we just let people self quarantine without telling everybody to self quarantine. 
That's fair. Yeah, because we're on we're on lockdown now, where we're at. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're on a mandated yeah. lockdown. And it's it, and how many people have in Philly? Like last time I checked a few days ago, it was like mm-hmm. eighty. So there can't be more than a couple hundred at most, and that's having not checked. I guess it's over a hundred. I heard it was one sixty four for greater Philly areas, like with Philly involved, like. Yeah, and that that's like an area with millions and millions of people. There's one hundred sixty four people who are sick, yeah. and we're all shut down, locked in our houses. Yeah, the argument is is that you can be sick without knowing for fourteen days, and you can be spreading it, and that's why people want you to stay inside because then you don't spread it from. One per- like one person doesn't spread it to 10 people who don't know for 14 days, and those 10 people don't spread it to 10 more people. It's how to stop the spread. But at a certain point. Well, it's just how could you expect... I I, I, I can't imagine that working just because if, if plenty of people can be not showing symptoms but have it and be mm-hmm. carriers, those people for two weeks are still going to have to go to the store and stuff. Yeah. So if they give even a single person it... Yeah. And that person now has it and is at day one. And yeah. now if they're staggered more than like six days apart, then, mm-hmm. then this is lasting months and months and months indefinitely because that's just going to keep happening. Yeah. So that's why it's just if if people not showing symptoms is such a big deal, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like that that's how it's going to be playing out. And that's why I'm leaning more towards I'm going to be working from home indefinitely more than I'm going back to work in three weeks. Yeah, I think that uh, works better for you uh, when it comes to like the service industry inside, oh. which is, it's it's a terrifying. It's ter- it's just terrifying in general because you don't know when you're going back to work and if people are even going to be out going to your restaurant or going to your bar or like, like anything at all because people are terrified. Did you want to just transition to the the rant you wanted to make because that because that's really relevant to the service industry and we can kind of just bundle that up together and then close yeah. out with the random stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, so what I was going to rant about today um, was the coronavirus and how it affects the music industry. So as a person who is very big into music, has done a lot with it, it does hit a little bit home for me. Um, so when it comes to the coronavirus, you have, Several several things that go into play with it, where you're getting tons of tours, festivals, um, and like just tons of things related to the music industry just shutting down completely, which is terrible. Um, we today Slam Dunk Festival closed uh, for the first time in 15 years. They said we're not going to be doing this. We're going to be rescheduling. And that's into September. Um, I've even seen festivals in September being closed off. Uh, you've seen some heavy metal festivals getting closed off as well. Um, so it is having a really big effect. We've had plenty of tours that we're going to be stopping here um, close off. We had um, There's no something going. Live Nation, AEG, um, they all closed down their tours or postponed them um, until a later date. Some people are putting out their later dates. Some people are not. Um, I think it's a terrifying time to be an artist um, because touring is how you make your money. You make it off of merch sales, make it off ticket sales. Um, Venues are going to be, I think venues will have trouble uh, staying afloat, Um, especially if they don't like some people have proposed stopping like the rent of bigger areas and like even rent of just normal households like or mortgages, just like stopping until 
this is all figured out. But I think it is a terrifying time. Um, I think it's even worse because of the economic standpoint of what it is. And just like a just like a server and stuff like that, you will you're struggling like you don't live like paycheck to paycheck or anything like that, but you are based on like how you perform and like things like that. And it's really shitty when the economy tanks because people don't go out, people don't go to shows, people don't buy merch, people don't go to restaurants, people don't buy food, people don't do shit like that. You know? So I think that is a huge problem. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I I think it's a really interesting thing to think about because of how it's like a mix of um it, it's it's like the perfect storm of a few bad things coming together because if this had happened for the music industry like if the music industry was teleported fifteen years back in time to two thousand five when mm-hmm. most artists made their money off CD sales and there were significantly less indie bands mm-hmm. then it would be really different because none of the mainstream people would be suffering as much. Um, and there wasn't as many random people who just started their own bands, thrown it on mm-hmm. Spotify and do small shows and open for small shows. But yeah. but but now I don't know if you've I don't know if you've seen the chart. I should have ran this by you earlier because I don't know why this didn't come to my mind. But the, mm-hmm. but there's like a really cool graph out there that shows like the music industry's total sales and like it shows um how much of it was CDs and then how that dropped off and how streaming comes in. Yeah. Um, and so much of the of the music industry now is live events and mm. merch sales. Yeah. Because streaming makes them such a smaller amount of money compared to CD sales back then. That, like, that, was, the, that was the next thing I was going to say was uh, how, because the some people may argue, be like, well, they can just put on new music and new streams and then your streams add up, you know, you make money that way. But the thing is like the most money you can make on a stream on like a single stream is by Napster. Napster will play for each stream, they pay you 0.01 like, cents. 0.01. Yeah. So that's Napster. Spotify pays 0.00437 per, per stream. Like, yeah, it adds up if you're having multi-million dollar like streams. But yeah. But but like the, I, I, the 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 people this hits hardest is definitely like the indie band or the band that has like one or two hits. Because mm-hmm. even those guys like like like, like Echo Smith, I, I've seen yeah. him, so so it's a good frame of reference for me. Mm-hmm. You see him at a small venue, a few hundred people show up, they they have their show, it's fun, they sell a ton of t-shirts, they make a ton of money off t-shirts because they print a t-shirt for like five to eight bucks, and they sell mm-hmm. them for like twenty to thirty. Yeah. Boom, they're, they're making money and they they go on their merry way, and it's a great thing of doing business because like you just bought a shirt from a band you listen to, like from them, you get to meet them, there's all this interaction. But now it's a completely it's a completely social way of making money. You can't mm-hmm. be doing events. You can't be doing anything extra um, to interact with fans. And it's it, our, yeah, it's also much harder to just like you have your Instagram influencers and stuff like that. But it's very hard for a band to grow their crowd, I guess, um, when you have no way of getting out there and showing that I can perform. I can do things. Like that. There are several several bands that I have like didn't expect to love went and saw the openers love the openers and now I'm a huge fan of those bands and those bands are very nice to listen to but you, when you don't have that opportunity I think that is an even bigger hit because now you can't do you, know, you can't start projects you can't do shit like that like, you can write all you want but 
writing comes in waves most of the time for most people. Most people can't just sit down, write a whole out. You know what I mean? So I think that there are a lot of, there are a lot more effects that people aren't like seeing personally. Um, but me who I'm friends with plenty of artists and like a lot of them are like saying, Hey, I'll write music for you. I'll write, do whatever I need to do to make some money because like they're going to run out of money before anybody else. Now, well, it's going to be interesting to see how many uh, small bands put out albums in the next couple months because mm-hmm. they're going to have to do something to, yeah. during the time, and they aren't touring. And if if they're if they're cooped up inside, they're going to end up making music. Yeah. Um, so so that that is interesting. Now on, on a bigger picture, the, I, I'm kind of worried about you know the people who actually work at the venues, mm-hmm. and the people who own the venues because a lot of people have payments to make on the venues. They're not running any events, so they have no income from it. And unless they're okay with operating with zero revenue for two to four months, then they're kind of screwed. Yeah. And they, they, they have no timeline. Like mm-hmm. that's why none of the events are getting rescheduled because they, because they don't know when the state's going to make it legal for 20 people to, to 20 people or more to gather at a place again. Yeah. Like, well, when the first bands were coming in, it was like, oh, you can't do events with 50 people. And that, those were the first ones. So yeah. it's like you're trying to do concerts with, you know, hundreds or thousands of people or festivals that are massive. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even ballpark when that might be around. It all depends yeah. upon the policy and how stuff plays out. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's the scary part is that complete uncertainty for everybody involved in it. Because mm-hmm. it, could be, it could be five weeks or it could be like four months. Like who knows? Exactly. It could, be, it could be four months, it could be six months. It could be just a ridiculous amount of time. So I wouldn't be surprised if you start, if this is prolonged, you see even some of your like well-known venues around your town that are like lower end closing down or, or shutting off until further notice completely and then like having to rebuild from a much lower level than some other places are going to see. Like here we have the Fillmore, which will be fine. It'll be fine. It's a staple. It's not going anywhere. Like, you also have venues here. Like, I'd even say up to, like, Union Transfer here may even see some problems with it if this goes on two to four months. Well, and, and, and it's all about, like, operating expenses, too, though. Mm-hmm. Because a company can plan for, like, like they, 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 they could expect something to happen that would screw up their revenue for, like, a month. But if it's like months and months and it's endemic to their business model, mm-hmm. it's like you don't know how much they're paying every month for the, the land they own, for anything they have to rent, or for all their bills. Like, mm-hmm. and you can't really estimate it. And you don't know how much they have in cash reserves sitting around. Exactly. And, I, and the people who work at those venues, like doing lighting or any of the you know, tech, and those people have nothing to do. So all I, those people are screwed. I was reading an uh, article today about about that. Um, a very prime example of that was the Zach, Zach Brown band. I mean, we listen to it here at home every once in a while. Um, he had a, like a 90% of his road crew, which includes like all of his roadies, his lighting crews, his people who just drive his trucks, all of all stuff like that. And like the Zach, Zach Brown band is huge. Yeah, like, yeah. They played the world series. They played the all-star game. Like, they're a ginormous band, and when they have to let go of ninety percent of their crew, that only goes to show like, what about people who are just a little bit under them? What the what the fuck are they doing? You yeah, know? yeah, it's, it's scary. 
like, but but the one thing is when when it comes back, I think it's going to bounce back really strong. Yeah. Um, like they're they're going to reschedule stuff, and there's going to be a ton going on every weekend, like for a while, to catch wow. up on tours that were closed down. Because the second yeah. they're able to, like like the, the like if if they announce that stuff's getting lifted on June on June first, say, mm-hmm. and like so many tours are going to have June first their first day, and they're going to redo all the dates that got canceled. Yeah. So. I'm sure it'll bounce back really strong. It's just yeah. getting through it is going to be bad. And that's kind of what's happening with like hotels and airlines yeah. because yeah, all the is. hotels and the airlines that were doing um, fine before this, it's like, well, that demand's still going to be there when this ends. Mm-hmm. Boy, they have to sit in limbo. Um, just wait and just hope you can get through it. And yeah. Then... But, but I feel worse for the, for the bands because at least hotels and airlines are big enough to where they should have insured their risk. But yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't expect Zach Brown to sit there and insure against a pandemic, but, yeah. maybe, but maybe you could expect something like that out of like American Airlines. Exactly. Whereas like American Airlines, maybe like you know, well things can happen, global crises can happen. You know, yeah, you'd like, expect there to be more than like a, stuff like that. You'd expect them to have a better response than to like sit on their hands and go, "Oh, we lost ninety six percent of our ridership." bail us out or we fire everybody <laughs> and it's like it's like you're you're, you're a conglomerate you guys you guys do a lot yeah like, 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 like when when zach brown shows up and it's like oh dude i've listened to your albums you're great you have millions and millions of hits on some of your songs mm-hmm. and when, when he goes oh dude i screwed up um i have to cut 90 percent of people because i didn't expect a catastrophe it's like i get it you're the country music bob marley like that's fine. Yeah. I don't expect that plan for that, <laughs> the dude. country music Bob Marley. Somebody clip it. Yeah, but like, but like these real companies, it's like you should probably have a plan, like like yeah. at some sort, like at least something to limit the damage. Yeah. So, it, it it makes the music industry, you know, a, a softer spot there for them. Yeah, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna be very terrible for a while and everybody i've ever talked to at least in the last two weeks have been like it's going to get worse before it gets better yeah and like that's okay um but i do want to like not just leave it on just like that really dark level because there is tons of excitement just like you brought up it's going to end up being it's going to be a very exciting time to be alive you can get through this and you can stay safe because when things start opening back up i think it's going to be rambunctious once things start leveling out like I just, with the, if the economy gets back into where it, like, was trending towards, you know, and, like, they can figure it out there, and then people stop worrying so much about the coronavirus, I think that it's in a very, it's going to be a very exciting time to be alive. Okay, and the, the, the thing I want to add, though, too, is, like, imagine that there's a band, an indie band, that's, like, a bunch of guys who are, like, 25-ish. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to just stop. They're, they're, they're not going to be like, ah, we, we're screwed out of income for four months. We're done being a band. And we're going to yeah. go find normal jobs. Like, that's not going to happen. And then the kind of people, even if we don't bounce back, like, as an economy as a whole, um, mm-hmm. immediately, do you really think people who are in their 20s are going to, like, be freaking out to not go see the bands they like? Like, like, yeah. like, like do you think they're really going to be that uh, savings-oriented once they're allowed to do stuff again? Because I don't think so. I don't know. I won't be. I know yeah. that for a fact. And I mean, in 2018, I saw 57 shows, and like, I've always wanted to up that number. Like, I always want to see more shows, and I don't it's, think that's going to change just because the world is. 
collapsing underneath its feet. Yes. So what I'm thinking is even if the economy is still kind of weak, I don't think the kind of people who will go to, say, like indie shows no. is going to care, right? Yeah. Like, like people would still go to – if I don't know how long Coachella's been around, but it's only been huge for a handful of years. But if Coachella happened, like, right after a recession, it's like I think Coachella would still be packed and they would still sell out. Right? Maybe one of those things where it's like – I think it's like one of those things that brings everybody together. Well, yeah, yeah. It does. It's like the only, it's like technically a language in my eyes. And like you play it anywhere, people are going to understand what's going on. Like, it brings, like it's one of the only things that everybody's going everybody's to understand no matter where you go. Yeah. So it brings everybody together. And I think that's really like a good way to look at it is to just help them. If you can help a local artist that you know, do it. I would, I can't. I don't have a job currently because of, of this of this shit. But when everything comes back, you bet I'll be the first person supporting people. Like it's just one of those things. Yeah, but it it, it should it it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, I guess, and what people who have not traditional jobs decide to do with their time yeah. because they they can't work from home if they're yeah. touring. Yeah, so. should be interesting. I'm excited though. I'm excited and also terrified for them at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I think we should tackle a couple of random things that have been in the news that we yeah. uh, were interested in. Uh, do, do, do you want to pick which thing we tackle first? Uh, I, th- I think since you're saying tackle, we should just pick up the Tom oh. Brady's a Buccaneer. Oh, my God. That was a – look at that transition. Look at that transition, boys. Holy hell, dude. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to – I'm gonna move past that. We we can move past that. <laughs> so um, yeah, Tom Brady's a Buccaneer. Um, two I, year, fifty million dollar contract. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I I didn't ask what you thought about this at all, so I'm kind of interested in how you'll go with it. Um, mm. I have two sets of thoughts. Um, my 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 first thought when I initially heard this is it could be terrible because the Buccaneers aren't a great team, and I was worried about their offensive line. Mm. Because I imagine yeah. Brady, I imagine him getting a snap and having a terrible offensive line, and then just getting sacked. And when Brady gets sacked, it's really sad to watch. Yeah, like, he's like, 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 like he just kind of like get hit. He, he just kind of cradles the ball. And he just like falls slowly, and then you're like, ah, he is forty. <laughs> um, so, but but I looked it up, and actually it was it was kind of strange. The Buccaneers, it was, it was like one of those advanced ESPN analytics that was about how often a defender is able to hold the pass rusher for two and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. And the Buccaneers and the Patriots had the exact same rate of doing that. They're both 58%. Huh. So I was like, well, I guess it's going to be close to the same offensive line on average then. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So I was surprised because that was my, that was my very first thought was if Brady, if Brady was like, you know, had no O line, he'd just get murdered and it'd be pathetic. Yeah. Um, but, but, but my new thought is if the Buccaneers don't make the playoffs it's going to be like one of those things where people are like, remember when Brady was on the Buccaneers? That was so weird because he just kind of yeah. went there and they were like seven and nine and they weren't that good. And then he retired, whatever. Yes. So I feel like if he doesn't make the playoffs, then he'll just be forgotten about completely except for his time in New England. And it'll be kind of sad, kind of like he could only win with Belichick in New England. Mm-hmm. So I think he's actually putting a lot of pressure on the Buccaneers organization to I- – I think so. Here's my here's my take on that. I've I have three opinions on the matter. My first one is as balls, 
That's a ballsy move. You are putting a lot of weight on yourself because just like you said, I think his if he doesn't make the playoffs, if, if he makes the playoffs, doesn't go to the Super Bowl, that's fine. I think that's completely fine. Um, doesn't tarnish anything. But if you miss the playoffs, especially if you don't have a winning record, yeah, tarnished. Tarnished. Especially if the Patriots don't do terrible. If the Patriots don't tank, you know what I mean? Like go like two and fourteen or some shit like that, you know? If the Patriots Go Ooh. seven and nine. Ooh, imagine how sad it's going to be if the Patriots oh. go like ten and six, and the Bucks go eight and eight and miss the playoffs, and then and then you realize that Brady was just a system quarterback. Yeah. If if that's what comes to light, because because they don't even have like a real quarterback on their roster. Hmm. If they just get somebody who's like Kyle Allen caliber, because I know they they're not Brian getting Brian Hoyer right now. They just sent Brian Hoyer. Oh yeah, yeah. But 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 if they bring in somebody who's like a, a younger version of him, like like, yeah. like like an Alex Smith type. Yeah. And then he just manages the game and then they win ten. That like kills Brady's reputation <sighs> right there. And then if the Bucks go seven and nine, that would be so sad. Yeah, that's gonna be rough. And I think uh, I think a lot of it's gonna be um the entire season once it picks up eventually, um, based on if season starts at the, at the time it's supposed to. Um the entire storyline is going to be how are the Patriots doing and how are the Buccaneers doing. And I think that's like one of the only stories that you'll you'll hear, like throughout it. Like you'll hear it once a day. Be like, ah, here's the how's Brady and the Bucks, and how's Belichick and the Patriots. And it's like they will always be compared. Um, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I know that's going to get a lot of like hate, but Emmitt Smith moved from the Dallas Cowboys after having a phenomenal career. I mean, rushing rushing yards leader still to this day. Everybody forgets that he was a Cardinal. And then that he retired back with the Cowboys on a one-day contract. All right? People forget that. There are tons of people with it. And then a lot of people are trying to compare Brady to Manning. And I think that's an irresponsible comparison because Peyton Manning going to the Denver Broncos was to win a championship. Brady going to the Buccaneers is to prove himself. And yeah. I think that's a huge difference. Yeah, like like the Broncos were a pretty stacked team without Manning showing up. And yeah, Br- Br- the, the whole thing is Brady needs to show up because yeah. he needs to be Jameis Winston, but not throw thirty picks. He needs yeah. he needs to throw twenty five touchdowns and fifteen picks instead of thirty and thirty. Yeah, and if, he could, if he could do that, they might make the playoffs because they had some like the, the Buccaneers have showed promise. They're gonna be, I think they're gonna be a good team, but they're the thing is they're in the F- NFC South. Right? Yeah, they're in NFC, NFC South, and it's Breeze, Brady, and then Matt Ryan. Yeah. Like, and then Teddy Bridgewater's on the Panthers, but the Panthers are tanking. Well, you kind of forget that the Patriots are in, like, the worst division in the NFL. So yeah. So how does it look once you take him out of his system and his mm-hmm. easy division, and you throw him with the Saints? <laughs> and, exactly. And the Falcons are, you know, hit or miss, but, you know, they, they still have a quarterback that's – yeah, they're hit or miss, but they also – I mean, they just got Todd Gurley today or yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Todd Gurley's knees still messed up, but he's still Todd Gurley. So, so, so that'll be interesting. That'll be an interesting thing. You got anything else going? Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching it. It's just I, – I think he should have just retired. I, I don't I, yeah, think... I, I think that's what a lot of people think. No, I would love to see him do well. I don't think that he's a bad human being. Um. Which is like, I don't like saying that because I would love to watch Tom Brady get his knees taken out sometimes. 
That's just because he's on the he was on the Patriots. Now he's not on the Patriots. I might respect him a little bit more if he does well. Yeah, he he, he must think he has something to prove, because I I can't see a person like him thinking, oh, I really need that fifteen more million dollars. Mm-hmm. He he has to be thinking like he needs to show something that he hasn't shown in his career. That's the only explanation. And then that, that makes it even worse if he fails. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot on him. Absolutely. Because it's not like, I mean, he won, how many Super Bowls did he win? Five Super Bowls? Yeah. Six, five? Six, five. Something like, something like that. Something ridiculous. I mean, um, I don't know. Just uh, I'm excited to see what happens this football season. It should be very interesting. Okay. Do, do you want to cover a little bit more uh, coronavirus stuff? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but before we head off, because this is, you know, the the ever-present news is uh, the coronavirus. And um, I'll try not to turn this into another extended rant. <laughs> um, but, but, but one thing that's been just driving me up a wall is how um, low the mortality rates are, yet we still crash our economy over it, and we're still mm-hmm. letting the government do whatever they want in the name of it. Um one thing I found that was really, really interesting was from Iceland. On Iceland's government website, they kind of posted the, their, their statistics for the testing they've done on the coronavirus because they have proportionally done the most testing out of any nation, partially because they have a, a smaller population. Um, from, from their testing, they had 4,200 people who were infected and only one person had died. Um, and the, the interesting thing about that is like here, when we're testing people, we're testing people who show signs and are sick generally, mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are going and leaving their house and thinking that they should get a test to see if they have it. But like you and me, we're not getting tested. We, um, like we're, we're staying inside, but like normal people who aren't feeling any symptoms haven't gotten tested in the United States. Yes. So the mortality rate is skewed like mm-hmm. really heavily high because the only people who even get tested in the first place are people who are at more risk because they're experiencing the symptoms. Yeah. But then when we look at a sample like Iceland, where they just test a whole bunch of people, um, they found that only 11% of who they tested were infected and then, you know, one died. So they were at 0.2% mortality. Um, Now in Wuhan, when they looked at their numbers in a more realistic um, fashion, they had a mortality rate of 1.4%, which is much higher than 0.2, but it's still, I don't think, what people are imagining. Um, And then based on Wuhan's estimates and then looking at a more realistic way of estimating the United States mortality rate, Mm. on Reason Magazine, let's see. Here we go. This is the right right, uh, link. A biostatician at Stanford University um, kind of broke it down more. And he said, given the age structure of the general U.S. population, the death rate among people infected with COVID-19 would be 0.125%. But since that estimate is based on a small sample of 700 people, the real death rate could be five times lower, which is 0.025% to five times higher, which is 0.625%. So so the reasonable estimates for the United States is 0.05% to 1%. So, like, I get that that's a huge range still. But that's not what we're hearing um, on the news. We're, we're hearing things that make it sound like it's well above 1%. And it wasn't until literally today when I saw that New York, um, their calculated mortality rate is 0.92%. Mm-hmm. 
So it's still under 1%, and that's still overstating it because you don't know all the people who have it that don't show symptoms. Yeah. So you get all that where the rate's that low, probably lower, and then people still roll on their backs for martial law like we are, where we're not leaving our house. Yeah. I'm not going to work. Yeah. I I think, like, um, when it comes to the mortality rate, I I understand people's fear of death. Um, That's fine. Whatever. I don't have to agree with it. Um, But that is the reason why people are so, like, so interested in the mortality rate. And, like, 1.4% might scare a lot of people, whereas, like, even on, like, a very base level, like, 100 people have it one person dies like i'm not stressing about it but when it comes to like the martial law and stuff like that i have like i have some pretty big problems with it because i think it just adds up and it, it sets up for the next time there's a catastrophe how quickly they can shut you down well and the, the the reason why i bring up the mortality rates is the real rate is probably mm-hmm. close to half a percent yeah. which probably means like 10% of old people that get it might die. Which, like, I get 10% a lot if you're already an old person. That's, like, 1 in 10 of the 80-year-olds. Yeah. So it's, like, nobody else should really be concerned. Um, so so all it takes is this 0.5% rate, and then everybody is panicking. So imagine mm-hmm. if there was something that killed, like, 3% of, like, anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine how quickly they could do anything they wanted if anything slightly worse than this happened. Yeah. That, yeah, it's the it's it's terrifying because the fact that we're gonna go to the store and then if somebody stops us, we have to be like, no, we're going home. We had we went to the store and like we have to explain ourselves from walking home from the store. Like, is a thing that we legitimately have to probably think about. Is like that that's terrifying and like who's in charge of me in that regard and should they even be allowed to be and. Like, why should I have to listen that closely and understand it's because you don't want to spread this disease, but what happens next, you know? Or it's just how low does the bar have to be before I have no rights? Yeah, exactly. Like, when when will you ship it? Yeah, and and it's not even, like, how low does the bar have to be, but it's, like, they they, they don't even know how bad it is right now. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it's very uncertain, and then there's still more than, you know, we're on lockdown because Mm -hmm. the state mandated it. And it's like, they don't even know what's going on and they're still mandating it. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to even have good information to crack down on us. And we're apparently all okay with it, considering that nobody is, you know, revolting or anything. No, I don't know. I think it's in- an interesting thing to watch. Um, very like, um, I think we won't see a lot more lockdown, at least like until like a, like a much more extreme, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, I well, think then, I wonder what happens next time something like this and how low that bar is. I yeah, think. but 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 like even imagine like seven years from now, mm-hmm. so it could be, could be could be a little ways out, but like this will be still be fresh in everybody's memory who's like sixteen or older. Mm-hmm. And if seven years from now they're like, "Hey, this is coronavirus, but worse," everybody would have a breakdown. Yeah. Well, like I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, but all the normal people would. Yeah, exactly. Normal, a normal citizen. Well, yeah. Be like, whoa. And and the other thing that I just want to mention on the on this topic is uh there there were two stories I found that was that did involve law enforcement. So it's one of those things that you know you'll say 
we're not allowed to leave our house. And then people go, well, but nobody's actually enforcing that. It's like, they're telling you that because you shouldn't, but like, no, nobody's, you know, people aren't getting in trouble for it. Um, but there are two stories that I, I brought to your attention. One of them was in Ohio. It was last Tuesday night. There was a restaurant that was open that had like 40 people at it. Mm-hmm. And cops came and shut that place down. Um, and the people who own it got cited and the cops made sure that place like closed down. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I think I think that I just uh. well, it, it, and you know when when I was reflecting on this today, I was thinking like, okay, forty people is a lot right now. And then I thought about how I'm going to the store later today, and if the store yeah. ends up being crowded because people want to go to the store, there's going to be more than forty people at the store. Yeah. And it's like, but I'm going to go anyways. So imagine if forty people were like, well, I already went to the store today. I get that I should be panicked, but you know, I want to have a beer and I want to have food, and I've already exposed myself to forty people. I'm going to go to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Ohio, there's probably only, I don't think Ohio even probably has more than a hundred, but, and then yeah. considering the population, such as more population. than a hundred people in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a fucking limit. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a uh, 40% of the population, <laughs> but it, it's just crazy that they, 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 the cops would literally show up, cite people mm. and close it down. And then the, the other one was just in Kentucky. I, I said it like it was going to be no big deal. Uh, in Kentucky, a guy got tested. He apparently doesn't have a coronavirus. They let him leave the hospital. He, he alleges that he doesn't have it. Um, the, the police allege that people in the house do have coronavirus, so they're literally sticking the house out and not letting people leave. Yeah. That, that was last week. I don't know if there's been an update on that or how that's played out, but they were, like, quarantined by police. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's... Where, where's the line? Where's the line? Well, that's why I don't even, I, I, I don't line? even accept that way of thinking about it. It's not like, well, when should they be allowed to do this? It's like you're going to be arbitrary, and I don't trust your judgment. So there, there should be. I think I'm talking more about in the current situation we're in. Is like, when does it, like, why do you feel justified? Yeah. Yeah. Well. If people already have power and then they say, well, we're doing it for the greater good, it's mm-hmm. so easy for so many people to say, well, I don't want coronavirus. Lock them in their house. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yep. Well, I don't think there's anything that we can do, but you can just try to be safe out there, people. That's, that's it. Yeah. Okay. So are, are we good on that? I think we're good on that. And I think that we're out of time. Honestly, yeah, I, th- I think we I think we wrapped that up pretty good. A lot of con- coronavirus talk, but but we're optimistic that you know it, it, I don't good. think it's going to be as bad as some experts are saying. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more useful in our thought, I guess. Um, yeah, but yeah, if you're if you're eighty, then if you're eighty, <laughs> don't go outside. I will find you. Then you probably don't know what a <laughs> podcast is, so I don't have to be concerned about. If you, you listen bad to advice. this podcast, you eighty-year-old person, no, I will find you. All right, I'm bringing it to your town. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's a threat. Bring it to, are you bring it, you're bringing the coronavirus to their town. That's what and it the, sounds. Like. And the podcast, we're going live. We will um, cough in your face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, 
This has been the first episode of Everything's on Fire. You can follow us on Instagram at EOF Podcast. Is that what it is? Yes, EOF Podcast. And then on Twitter at Podcast EOF. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is Ryland Creekmore. If you want to follow me, feel free. I never post. Um, Matt doesn't have any socials, so that's good to know. Um, he is a blank entity in the eyes of the government. He also burned his social security card. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 have a, I have a Twitter where I post a lot of political stuff, but I don't know if I'm going to throw that on here yet. People um, might think I'm too crazy. I'll link them. I'll link everything into our YouTube as well in case you want to find it there. Um, we will be posting on both the Twitter and the Instagram after this. I already prepped the post, so we're good to go there. Um, besides that, do you have any goodbyes or anything, Matt? You want to no, say like we, 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 we hit the tip of the iceberg on the huh. coronavirus. I'm sure yeah. we're going to tackle like a few different perspectives on that too because, you know, I have thoughts on – on event 201 and if anybody knows that, that that's a teaser <laughs> that's, that's a, a teaser. teaser and i'm name dropping it and if you don't know what it is you might want to look it up yeah. um and the other thing that we there, there was more that we wanted to touch on that topic oh yeah like we didn't talk about the federal reserve at any point it'll come up and we, we didn't talk about the stimulus plan that they're planning it'll come up so i'm sure that there's more mal malfeasance we'll have the chance to talk about and, uh, and much, much more, even if that's not the only stuff you're into. We want to tackle some conspiracies at some point and some other more topical things. Absolutely. So, and if you have topics that you want us to talk about, send them in. We eventually want to have guests on here if this continues to be something uh, that continues, like that just keeps going. Um, but yeah, you can leave comments, uh, complaints, concerns. I don't, I'll read anything that you put there. And, and hopefully our audio quality will get better once we're in a real studio, which should be in the yeah. near future once we're not indefinitely locked down. Exactly. That, that's what kicked us out of the studio for the first episode. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed to be there today. We might go there next week, but not honestly probably not because of the lockdown, and that's two weeks. Yeah. So probably the first couple ones are going to be here on here and on headset. So just bear with us. Um so yeah, everybody, thank you for listening, and that was Everything's on Fire. Yeah, absolutely.